sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Today, we're going to have an interesting discussion with my friend and colleague, Professor Timothy Golden, who is a philosophy professor at Walla Walla University in Washington State. And in particular, looking at what religious liberty means differently within the white and black American communities. So, Tim, I'm going to quote from an article that you have submitted it's coming up in the January-February issue of Liberty Magazine. I'm going to put in a plug here for Liberty Magazine. But you say, let me find the statement here. To an American white evangelical, the phrase religious liberty typically implies that Christianity is under attack from social and cultural forces. Can you expand on that? Let's start off there. Well, I think that it's naive to suggest that our racial and ethnic backgrounds do not inform our understanding of terms. We all bring with us a certain history to any interpretive enterprise, and interpreting the phrase religious liberty is no exception. So if you are white evangelical in America, Christianity has a certain meaning and a certain implication for you. And that meaning and implication is that it is a religion that has provided for a sense of spirituality that regrettably is connected to a very long history in which you as a white person have been privileged in certain ways to be on an end of Christianity that is not the receiving end of oppression, but rather the giving end oppression. And this sort of orientation toward Christianity is one that keeps a white evangelical Christian very concerned about the status of their religion in a culture and a society that they believe, because it is browning, is slipping away from them. So demographic shifts affect the way that white and black interpret the term religious liberty. A white evangelical Christian, it typically means that my religion, my way of life that has provided me safety and security and spirituality is passing away. And anything that's inconsistent with that means that my religion is under attack by social and political forces that want to fundamentally change America. And anyone who thinks that this sort of thinking is not at work, whether consciously or unconsciously, when we interpret the term religious liberty, is, I think, somewhat naive. You know, I don't know the extent to which Christian leaders publicly share these kinds of ideas. I do think we've all heard some of this discussed publicly. I will also affirm that I have heard these discussions privately among Christian leaders, this notion tying race with religion and religious privilege in America, that um, 
very much concern about demographic shifts, about population. So yes, this is very much on the radar of a number of Christian leaders. So, you know, as a lawyer, a student of legal history, a student of philosophy, and and a teacher of, of such, how do you see, how is religious freedom perceived differently within the American Black community? Well, I think religious freedom within the African-American community, in terms of Christian African-American community, it interprets it, religious liberty, one, as an awareness of how whites are going to see it, as I just discussed, but it also interprets it as a sort of almost more inclusive sort of prophetic orientation toward religious freedom that emphasizes certain aspects of scripture, such as the kingdom of God being oriented toward the most vulnerable members of society. There's a liberationist impulse to certain types of African-American theological reflection. And so I think, again, neither the white community nor the black community is monolithic. Within each of these communities, you're going to have people who express disagreement with the prevailing or dominant views. But I think it is safe to say that the connections between race and the meaning of the phrase religious liberty in lots of ways tend to break down along racial lines. There will always be exceptions. There will always be very conservative African-Americans who would tend to agree with white evangelicals. And there will always be pockets of white progressives who tend to incline more toward the prophetic African-American understanding of the term. But generally speaking, I think I'm on pretty firm ground when I suggest that there are dominant interpretations within each of these racial groups, and they break down in many of the ways that I've mentioned. So listening to this discussion, Tim, it strikes me that the the theological emphases within the black and white Christian churches in America reflect very different social and cultural experiences. And in particular, what I'm thinking of is, you know, the popularity of the prosperity gospel, okay, which to me, I'm not a theologian, but, you know, it seems to me pretty clearly just one of the leading heresies in our nation, the idea that, you know, you only have faith that God will prosper you and keep you in good health, etc., um, you know, lacking prosperity, lacking health clearly is a sign of lack of faith. I mean, they're just so obviously contradicted by Scripture in so many ways. And yet it's extremely popular within the white community. I suspect far less hold on the black Christian community. Well, I think that perhaps that might not be entirely accurate. Prosperity gospel has taken hold in lots of African-American churches. And it has transformed them from centers of prophetic witness as they were in the 20th century version of the civil rights struggle uh, into sort of the phenomenon of the megachurch, a, a very large church in which, as you said, people attend and uh, the measure of one's spirituality is material gain. 
and material success. So, so I think it does exist in black communities uh, in some ways to a real problematic degree because it tends to dilute the prophetic impulse of black Christianity that has historically been the Christianity that has held America's feet to the fire to try to gain a foothold and get some of the promises of American democracy fulfilled for African Americans and for other groups, frankly. Well, in, you know, in thinking about the prophetic role of the church and historically the focus of that within the black church on civil rights and poverty and, and those kinds of issues, it strikes me you don't have to be an advocate for those particular positions to understand the very great difference between a church that seeks power to be in a dominant power position in society and a church that fulfills a prophetic function of standing apart from power and speaking truth to power, even if you disagree about the content of the truth that the powers that be need to be called to account for. Does that make sense? Because I see the white church is very much seeking a seat at the table, a place of power to impose and to rule, whereas the black church has historically been, as you say, fulfilling the prophetic function. You know, I lean towards the prophetic function of the church is the more valid role of the church and society. And we can argue about what the content of that prophetic message should be. But in terms of the function, you know, we should not be in a power position. We should not be seeking dominance and rule because the culture will always be corrupt. And the church should always have a higher moral and spiritual standard to speak to the corruption of society. No, I agree, Alan. I do agree that many white evangelicals who are seated at any political table nowadays are far more interested in trying to consolidate political power among themselves to help save America as seemingly slips away to demographics that are historically objects of their racial hatred. So absolutely, I think that's a problem. I will also say that generally, again, there's been a trend in the African-American community toward being more prophetic. And I'd like to introduce a, another term here that may help sort of help us hone in on this problem. So if we're talking about prophetic Christianity, we also have to talk about Christianity of what Cornell West calls a Constantinian sort. That is to say, even as Constantine saw an opportunity to misappropriate Christianity for political and military ends, so do many whites today see an opportunity to misappropriate the Christian gospel to consolidate political power and preserve a status quo in which they benefit. So I think the difference between the prophetic and the Constantinian sort of captures what I tried to get across in the article which is that you have these two positions that will generally correspond to two different interpretations of the term religious liberty based a lot on racial lines. So I think it's important to acknowledge that in the essay that I wrote for Liberty Magazine, my focus was avoiding extremes. I think the extreme right is problematic. I also think the extreme left is problematic. I think right-wing and left-wing ideologies are not effective ways to do government. 
they exist, but I think we've seen what happens over the past four years when a president tries to govern with ideology. It tends not to work out so well. And I think the left needs to take heed also. In my essay, I talk about the importance of our Western intellectual heritage, which has typically guarded against extremes. We ought to sort of follow the lead of Icarus, who flew too high and thus flew too close to the sun. We ought to follow the lead of Aristotle, who tells us that virtue is at a midpoint between deficiency and excess. And most of all, if we're Christians, we ought to follow the lead of the Savior, who is in scripture situated between a woman who's had an issue of blood for 12 years and a young girl of 12 years old who has never had an issue of blood. And yet he stands in between these two extremes. And the scripture says he felt virtue leave his body. So virtue is typically found in the middle. It is not found on either extreme. And if we move away from politics, toward a realm that I like to call the political, what we can see in the political is a need to actually have a healthy respect for one another, a need to disagree while being civil, and it fulfills a need to actually respond with meaningful moral action toward one another in a way that law and legal systems can never force us to do. And I say amen to that. And that's a wonderful note to close on. Our guest today has been Professor Timothy Golden from Walla Walla University, philosophy professor. The need for moderation in between our political extremes. And maybe if Congress would learn this lesson, they could actually work together and get something done, right? As we close, remember, friends, the coronavirus won't slow down our efforts to protect your religious freedom. We don't just talk about it. We provide services to those suffering religious discrimination. So check us out at churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Till next week, let freedom ring.